Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Going back to Romans 12 today, this will be the final part in this series on thinking like God thinks, thinking like God thinks. So I'm going to review a few things with you that we've talked about, and then I'm going to just finish up today and wrap up today of what we left off with last Sunday morning that we weren't able to totally completely uh, finish out last Sunday and to help you get a total focus on this renewal of the mind, why it's so significant, and what it actually means. If your mind is renewed, then you are thinking like God thinks. And I'm going to say it probably multiple times today, but I'm going to tell you right now, the priority of your life as a believer, proven over and over again in Scripture, the priority of your life as a believer, once you've gotten saved, once you've been born again, is the renewal of your mind. That's your priority. That's your priority. Well, I thought God would be. You're going to find out today that obviously if God is your priority, then renewing your mind is a priority. But I'm telling you, the number one need in a believer's life, the moment after they get born again and all through the rest of their time here on this earth, is renewing of the mind. Because your mind will constantly want to drift back to thinking the way it did before you were saved. Thinking carnal thoughts. Not only that, but realize too, every thought that you would have as it relates to things that are contrary to God honestly, are, are possibly from your fleshly nature, but primarily, they're from the enemy. And, and these thoughts are constantly going all the time. Do you know what's going through the room right now? You know what's going through this room right now? Words. Think about that. Don't get all spooky on me and weird and kind of, woo, what's pastor talking about? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's all kinds of radio stations right now that are transmitting words. They're in this room. We can prove it. All we got to do is go get a little receiver. Tune to a certain channel. And lo and behold, guess what we would pick up standing right here in this room? Those words. Where did they come from? They're flying out through the, they're going all through this room right here. There's word. Now, I don't mean, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, oh, what about all these words? No, I'm just telling you that the enemy is constantly at work in the spirit realm. To constantly work at trying to get you to think contrary to God. And you got to recognize this is the significance of the priority of my life. Because if a priority of my life is not to renew my mind, to think like God thinks, guess what you're not going to do? Live like God lives. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You're going to live out the kind of life, basically, that you think. Because what you think, guess what thinking leads to? Thinking leads to believing. And that leads to speaking. And what you speak out of your heart and believe, you will have. So thinking's critical. Romans 12 again tells us this. We've looked at these verses several times. Uh, we, we actually uh, kind of uh, uh, looked at some other ones last week similar to this, but I'm going to come back as we're closing today to these two key foundation scriptures on this series about thinking like God. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So we clearly know he's talking to believers. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Mercies is another way to say by the very actual compassion and benefits that God has for us, if you look that up, 
That you present your bodies. You present your bodies. You present your bodies. Don't make a present out of it. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Say this, I must. I want you to say it like you mean it. I must do something with my body. If you don't, you won't renew your mind. If you don't daily present your body to God. Now your body includes these eyes of what you look at, natural eyes. These ears of what you listen to. These feet of where they take you. These hands of what you do with them. If you don't present this body as a living sacrifice daily unto God. I'll assure you what you won't do. You won't renew your mind to the word of God. Because your body left to its own desires, eyes, ears, feet, hands, mouth, will do what the flesh wants, not the spirit. So when I say you must present your body, who's the you that has to present your body as a living sacrifice? Your spirit man. Your spirit man has to rise up and say, body, you don't get to do what you want to do today. Now, some of you need to practice this, and I know you probably won't like this, so I may actually take the risk of shutting you down at the start of my message and you're not hearing nothing else the rest of the morning. I hope that doesn't happen. But in some cases, for example, you need to learn as a spirit man that there are times that there are certain foods that you probably really shouldn't be eating too much of, but you continue to do so because your body wants to. Your spirit man needs to, if you want to walk in a position of presenting your body Wholly acceptable to God, I did not say you could never eat anything your body wants. I did not say you could never eat anything your body. But how many times do you tell your body, no, that's enough? Or not today, body. We had plenty of that yesterday. Not today. We're gonna, you're going to live in moderation. I'm not going to just let you do whatever you want. Because if I do, obviously I'm being controlled by my carnal nature. Now, as simple as an illustration of that is, you'd be shocked how many Christians do not deal with their body when it comes to food. They just eat whatever their body wants, anytime their body wants it. They're not living as a spirit being saying, am I looking at this from a perspective to say, do I need to cut this out today? Do I need to eat just one of those and not 15 of them? See, I'm taking the risk of already losing some of you already in the beginning of my message. But I'm going to obey God. And I'm just going to tell you that if you can't even tell your body what to do when it comes to food, you really think you're going to renew your mind to the Word of God. You will not. You will not. Because if your body can already get away with eating whatever it wants, then your body is going to get away with everything else it wants. Including ditching the Bible, sitting in church board, can't wait to get out. You might actually show up. Or you just won't go. Right? So understand this. This is clear in the Bible. God will not do what you must do with your body. Say it. God will not do what I must do with my body. He won't do that part for you. He told you, you must present your body as a living sacrifice. If you don't, forget about verse 2. Forget about transformation of life. Forget about walking in Zoe. Forget about living the kind of life God wants you to live. Because your body's ruling. Your your body's the one controlling you. If your body's controlling you, you'll never walk in Zoe life because your body is enmity against God. 
It's opposed to the ways of God. Your body don't want to forgive. Your body wants to punch. Your body wants to slander. Your body wants to gossip. Your body wants to justify myself and what I am context, quote unquote, right about. And they're wrong to say such things about me. Your body wants to defend itself in the sense of, in a wrong way, to be able to try to attack other people back. In the con- and, and most of the time, I'm just talking about like with words and stuff like that. And then you go to slandering them. So you got to realize your body's never going to do what God wants it to do. I said your body, let me, let me say it biblically, let me say it correctly. You ready? Your body left to itself will never do what it wants to do. Excuse me, it will never do what God wants it to do. It will always do its own thing. So your body can't be left to be by itself. It's the reason like little kids, you don't just say, well, uh, I'm serious. How many of you got three-year-olds and say, well, I'm just going to go to work today. Just let them do whatever they want to do. Praise God. They may not even be alive when you get home. Or maybe they might be, but they could be sitting out front looking at your house burned down. And you're wondering why. Because you're going to entrust a three-year-old to do whatever they want to do? No. Well, let me help you. Your body's like a three-year-old. Seriously. It tells you clearly in the Bible. I'm quoting, I don't have time to go to the verses. It tells you clearly in the Bible. It's enmity against God. Opposed to God. So I must say, I must. I know you may not like saying it. Your body doesn't. Your spirit does. Say, I must present my body unto God. A living sacrifice. So that means you don't wait till you get to heaven. Living means my body's still alive. I choose to put it on the altar of God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't eat anything that your, Bible, uh, that your body, again, uh, you know, uh, well, I just got to eat stuff my body don't like. Didn't say that. But I'm just saying if you really honestly listen to your spirit, man, your spirit knows that's enough. Your spirit knows not today. Your spirit knows okay today. Your spirit knows. Your spirit knows your body better than you do. Talking about your body, better than your body does. How many know your spirit knows everything it needs to know? Because it's connected to God. So I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy means set apart to Him. Acceptable, doing what God says is right in His sight. Acceptable to God. This is what? Reasonable service. So the moment I got born again, I shouldn't get a gold star for showing up to church twice in a row. Right? Like you give the little kids, well, you made it to church, uh, you made it to school all this week, you're going to give you a little gold star because you made it to school all this week. Now, let me help you. As a, as a believer, you show up to church consistently, you shouldn't get a gold star and a pat on the back. You should say, this is reasonable service. Right? Yes. Spending time with God, which should be a fun thing for you to do. Spending time with God, it is if you're spirit-led. Spending time with God should not be something I should get a gold star for. I should obviously enjoy doing it. And I should realize that I, that's just part of reasonable service, part of why I got born again to begin with. I wanted a relationship with God. Now, I know there's some that may have gotten born again not wanting a relationship with God. They just didn't want to go to hell. That's not why I got born again. I got born again because Coy told me I could have a relationship with God. I was like, really? That was the whole reason I gave my life to God. When I found out I could know God, I was blown away. I was like, are you serious? Man, I would love to know God. I'd love to have a relationship with God. I think the sad part is for a lot of believers, if they don't come in with that perspective, they don't walk with God because that wasn't their purpose to begin with. Their purpose wasn't to know God. It was just to escape hell, right? To kind of get, or, or quote unquote, to get God on my side. So God will just bless me in whatever I do, which by the way is not doctrinally correct. But some think that way. They think if I get born again, praise God, I'm a child of God. God's on my side. Doesn't matter how I live. God's going to, matter how I live, God's going to bless me anyway. No, excuse me. You're going to reap what you sow. 
New Testament. So notice, if we present our bodies, and that's just, verse 1 is saying, be consistent at this. How many know you're never going to perfect presenting your body 100% of the time to God? Has anybody ever had, even in the past month, let's say, we'll, we'll kind of span the distance a little bit. Has anybody even had in the last 30 days a dumb thought you shouldn't have had? A wrong word come out of your mouth. But that shouldn't be consistent. That shouldn't be the majority of the time. It's going to happen at times. But you got to realize i got to deal with that and move on. Verse 2, if you obviously present your body as a living sacrifice, then he says in verse 2, and. So you can't get to the and, conjunctive word, of what he's about to say in verse 2 until you did verse 1. But if you do verse 1, then he tells you, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Thank God we can live a brand new life here on earth. Come on. A life free from fear, torment, stress. Worry. You were never intended to live in worry. I had, a, I had a believer one time argue with me on an article I did, uh, uh, living a worry-free life. That's not possible. I said, then Jesus lied. Well, he didn't lie. Well, he said, don't worry. Well, you know, not everybody, but you, you, just, you just can't do that. I said, you're wanting to not admit that the Bible's truth you're not receiving it with meekness. You'll live in worry the rest of your life. Some people like worrying. You know why? I'll tell you why. Some people like worrying not because of what it does to them, but because of the attention it gets them. Go ahead. Elbow your neighbor say, he is preaching pretty good this morning already. Yeah. Some people like to worry because it draws attention. If they worry, you're going to see it on them, man. You're going to know. People, oh, you okay? Is everything all right, sweetheart? Da, 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 da. Nothing wrong with us. Not We should show care for one another. But if you're worrying just to get that attention, you're, you're totally messing up, man. Because the worry, guess what? Cannot coexist. Worry and faith, they don't work together. They're direct opposites. So again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has to be a renewing of the mind. So that you can then prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, as we've seen in detail already, let me just go over with you the main key points of what we've talked about. That you must walk out in your life if you want to renew your mind. Anybody want to renew your mind? Let me say it another way. Anybody want to live a transformed life like God? So if you want to live like God, you got to renew your mind. And it's an ongoing, never-ending thing. But the more you do, the more you live like God. I, I love it, man. The more I continually work at keeping my mind renewed to the Word of God, the more I get to see my life being transformed into the same walk that Jesus walked in. And I'm glad about that. So number one, you got to do what? You got to, to renew your mind, you got to put off the old man by seeing the image of the new. There's a new man on the inside of you that you're to renew your mind to. We saw that in multiple verses in Ephesians as well as in Colossians, we saw clearly that you and I are to recognize what I'm renewing my mind to is the new man on the inside of me. That's what I'm renewing my mind to. What am I renewing my mind to? The spirit man that's now on the inside of you. This new creation we're going to talk about just a little bit more today. But that's what I do. I see the new image, and that helps me begin to, begin to put off the old way of living. Number two, to do this also, we must what? James 1 says you've got to receive God's word with meekness. If you don't receive the word of God with meekness, there's no renewing of the mind. So let's talk about meekness for a minute. What does that mean? I accept everything the word of God says, period. 
I was sharing with a guy today about the fact that submission to leadership is a powerful thing because if you're submitting your leadership, not the person, but what they're teaching you from the word, they can protect you from deception. Anybody's ever been, uh, ever been on the planet, not been a pastor, and then tries to explain to a pastor what they think about pastoring is, is really ignorant because you've never been one. You don't know the pain a pastor goes through to watch people that don't submit to the Bible and where they wind up. I've watched it many times. It's painful. It's painful to watch. So realize, even in this case, what he's talking about here, you and I got to recognize that for us to receive the Word of God with meekness, we don't come to the Bible with our opinion of what we think. Now, I know some will think that of me. Well, you're just selling, and this guy said this morning, you're just sharing your personal opinion. But he acknowledged two verses I I shared with him were right there in Scripture in the New Testament. Wait a minute. So you say that, okay, I understand it says that, but you're giving your own private interpretation. How hard is it to understand that pastors are to correct you? Black and white in the Scripture. They're to rebuke you. They're to exhort you. They're to encourage you. They're to endure with you long. To help you to walk in truth. Can I get a better amen? In the book of Hebrews it says, as we'll see tonight, if you obey those leaders, you're not obeying the person, they got to bring the word to you and show clearly what the Bible says. Guess what? They're watching out for your soul. That's a type of covering for your life. That's a type of protection if you want to say it that way. And so, you know, people want to mince words and say, well, there's no word covering in the Bible. Neither is the word rapture, but I'll bet you talk about it. Because the Bible talks about it catching away. So understand this, it's very important. To receive the word with meekness means you don't put your own interpretation on it. You find out for sure what does it say in context and you say that, I accept it. I accept what it says about me, who it says I am, and what it says I should do. Amen? But anything we reject of the word of God as it relates to who we are, what we're to do, guess what we're not doing? Renewing our minds. We're rejecting what the Bible says, therefore we're not going to renew our mind. So two, I've got to receive the word of God with what? Meekness. Without doing so, you won't renew your mind. Then number three, on a little further in James chapter one, it also says you got to do what? Not only receive it with meekness, but then be a doer. So number three, I got to be a doer of the word. There's no real mind transformation without becoming a doer of the word. Because as you begin to walk it out, now all of a sudden your mind starts getting into the, with the program. Okay, I see. I see how this works. Praise God. But without being a doer of the word, there's no true renewal of the mind. It's, you just got some head knowledge. But the purpose of renewal of the mind is the soulish part of you, which is to help you to walk out what God has for your life. Amen? Amen. And then last one, number four, we talked about from several different verses. Primarily, though, Philippians chapter four, you got to what? Meditate on God's truth. Got to meditate on the truth because this is how you reprogram your mind in those hard spots. In those areas that have a strong hold in your life, the only way you get rid of them, you got to reprogram that part of your life. So it's like a computer. A program has been inserted. Therefore, the computer is going to do this every time because that's what the program tells it to do. If you want to change what the computer is doing, guess what you got to do? Reprogram the computer. And there are parts of things that have been programmed into us so strongly that without us meditating on the Word of God, we'll never change those areas. But we can because it's really not us changing it. It's the Word of God changing it. So go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 as we've touched on this a little bit briefly and actually left off here last Sunday morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells you this. You and I have to understand the power of what we're renewing our mind to is the new spirit man. I want you to get this. The power of what we're renewing our mind to is our new spirit man, and that information is found in the Word of God. 
I want you to get that. The power of renewing the mind is in renewing our mind to our new spirit man, which the information about that man is found in the Word of God. So that's why we say we renew our minds to the Word of God. But I've told you this many times. Does that mean everything the Bible teaches? No. There's things in the Bible that the Word of God tells us as it relates to events or things that have occurred in the earth, even under the Old Testament, that are true. This happened, but that doesn't mean it's true of God. I've taught you this many times. Job said, literally in relationship at the start of the book of Job, Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job had had a lot of stuff taken from him, but God didn't take it. Very clearly, the enemy did. Satan did. He was wandering, looking whom he could devour. And therefore, who took it? Satan did. Satan took it. Why? Job was in fear. He even said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. I've taught you fear is faith in reverse. It's a type of faith. So literally, he was having faith in what obviously Satan had got him under conviction of. And therefore, he allowed him to have this situation happen in his life. And then he made a statement in the midst. Anybody ever made a dumb statement in the midst of adversity? And so in the midst of adversity, he made a dumb statement. God gives, God takes away. At the end of the book, which nobody seems to want to get to, nobody ever seems to want to read. Joe makes a statement at the end of the book. I uttered words I did not understand. So you should find out, what were those words he uttered? That he didn't understand. Nobody wants to read that part of the book. And so relationship to the fact did, here's a key. Did Job make that statement? Yes. It's a statement of fact. He did state it. Is that actual statement true about God? No. God doesn't take away. God's a giver. Well, he killed people. He wasn't taking nothing away. He was bringing justice. He is a just God. He was dealing with evil. People's hearts who would not change. Under the New Testament, we are under a time of grace where that's not happening per se in the same sense. But my point is to say, God was not taking away. God was dealing with people justly and rightly because of the evilness of their heart. You ought to be glad about that. Because if God wouldn't have done that, you listening? He took them away, but he didn't take things away from them. They were already living in the position where they wanted to be. God took them away from his people because without it, there would have been no remnant. And without no remnant, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Ladies and gentlemen, you'd have never had a virgin Mary. There'd have been no virgins left on the planet. And without a virgin Mary, there is no birth of Jesus, and there is no Savior, and there is no salvation for anybody. See, a lot of people just don't understand the simplicity of the Bible in the context of what it reveals. But you've got to understand this. Just because it was said of God, He gives and takes away, doesn't always mean when you read a statement in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that's really true of God. You better find out and clarify, was He just saying that because of the situation He was in? Or does God endorse that in the Bible in some way and say, yeah, I do take from people? Because God doesn't. Matter of fact... James also says that all good gifts come from the Father above and who there's no variation or shadow of turning. James 10, uh, John 10.10 10 is the dividing line of the Bible. Sure Jesus' own words, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not me. I came to give. Not take away. Right. came to give you life and that more abundantly. Aren't you glad about that? Any amens on that? Amen. How about shouting a good amen? amen. So understand this. You got to understand this. That you got to know about meditating on Scripture means you're meditating on what? What am I meditating on? What am I meditating on? Who I am based on the Word of God. So the power to renewing of the mind is renewing my mind to who I am, which has to be based on what the Word of God says about me. 
So that's why we say you're renewing your mind to the Word, but really more specifically, what God says about you. Could I get an amen on that? So 2 Corinthians 10 does tell us that we do face battles in this life as a believer as it relates to things we go through, stuff we deal with. These battles, of course, are for us are not fleshly battles. They're actually spiritual battles. And he tells you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. All Paul's saying, Paul was dealing with, you know, the Corinthian church, I've said it many times because the, the Bible proves this. They were the most zealous for the things of God, and they were the most sinful. That's something? They had a real zeal for God, but they were also, of all the churches written to, in the New Testament, they were the most sinful. They had the most sin in their church of any church written to that we can see in the Bible. Proven through the letters written. Paul was dealing with some very sinful acts. <clears throat> Especially in this case, he was dealing with a young man who was now sleeping with his dad's wife. And nothing was being done about it. And so he was saying, so you think that we're just a bunch of carnal, fleshly, you know, people with the apostle like myself. Verse 3, but he says, but though we walk in the flesh, okay, I'm in a flesh and bone body. Guess what? We don't war according to the flesh. So let's apply it to us individually. I'm walking in a flesh and bone body. But my battle is not against a flesh and bone body. My battle is not going to be won according to fleshly weapons. That tells you right there. That for you, you still have to present your body. You still have to do what's necessary to present your body. But then to get rid of the strongholds that are in it. See, there's a difference here. There's a difference here. I have to present my body to the Word. I have to present my body to the house of God. I have to present my body to God. But strongholds, thoughts, thought patterns in my life that cause me to think a certain way and live a certain way. I'm not going to overcome them by just mental assent, thinking somehow I can cause myself to quit doing that. You understand the difference? If I don't present my eyes to the Word, I'll never learn from the Bible how I can live out what God has for my life. I say it all the time, and this is powerful. We don't obey God. <clears throat> Listen, we don't obey God to earn anything from God. We obey God to learn how. Learn how to obtain now what we have as a, right and, as a right and a privilege as a child of God. So I'm not obeying God to earn anything. I'm obeying his word to learn from him how to do this the way he set it up. Because it hasn't changed. So understand what he's saying here. He's saying that you're not going to win a battle in a stronghold in your life. An area that you obviously can't seem to let go of. So therefore, guess what? It has a hold of you. So let me refer to a moment a key factor about strongholds. This is the difference, all right? A stronghold is something that has a hold of you. You don't have a hold of it. If I have a hold of anything that's not of God in my life, if I'm holding on to it, which if you do for a period of time, it'll eventually, guess what, latch on to you. But if I'm holding on to it, I can let go and walk away anytime. And God knows that. God knows everything about us. But if it has a hold of me, even though I want to get free, I can't seem to get free. Aren't you glad God knows that as well? But he provided a way to get free. And the weapon is not your flesh. It's not your mind of just thinking of something. It's not your willpower. No, it's the word of God. So watch this. He said again, even though I'm in this flesh and bone body, I'm not warring or going to win a battle 
according to the flesh. For because the weapons I've been given, the weapons of my warfare, they're not carnal. They're not natural weapons, but they're what? Mighty in God. That word mighty is one of the dunamis words that talks about there's great power in these weapons that God gave you for pulling down what? What is going to destroy the strongholds? The weapons God gave us. Now, what are the weapons God gave us? And certainly, you know, we got uh, prayer in the context of praying the Spirit. We have the name of Jesus, all that. But this is primarily referring to the Word of God. Because no matter what area you face a battle in, you can go find Scripture that tells you as a child of God, I've overcome that and here's why. Amen. So I have many weapons. Amen. We call it the sword of the Spirit. But if you think about it this way, guess what? It's a very multifaceted sword. Because it'll go after all kinds of, of uh, enemies. It'll destroy all different kinds of strongholds. So he goes on to say in verse 5, These same weapons, the word of God, will also do what? Cast down arguments. So that's natural human reasoning that wants to convince me it's not a big deal. Or wants to convince me I'm really not in bondage. Or wants to convince me it's okay to do this even though God says it's not. But the word is what will destroy that reasoning. I said, the word is what will destroy that reasoning. This, these very same weapons don't just pull down strongholds. What else do they do? Cast down arguments. And every high thing that would exalt itself against what? The knowledge of God, what God says. And they bring every thought into captivity. Every thought into captivity. They will bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Here's what I want you to get out of these verses. God gave you weapons. Say, I have weapons. Now, I'm not going to exclude like communion. I'm not going to exclude prayer. I'm not going to exclude that. But the primary weapons he's referring to again here is the word. Because the book of Hebrews tells you the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability, listen to this, it has the ability to come into your life and to separate and divide asunder the soul from the spirit. So these strongholds of the soul that are still trying to control my life, what is it that's going to literally separate my spirit man, me, from that stronghold? The word of God is. See, the word of God has the power in it to do the work. Your job is to deploy the weapon. You have to deploy the weapon. So we're back to point number four. A lot of Christians will never fully renew their minds because they won't take time to meditate on the word. You have to meditate on the Word. Meditating on the Word, uh, go to Jeremiah while I'm talking. I want you to turn over to Jeremiah. This is going to be good for you today. I hope you're going to get a hold of it. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 23. Meditating on the Word of God is taking God's Word, thinking about it over and over, speaking it over and over, keeping your focus on the Word of God or the things of God. This is another way to say it. Meditating on the Word of God is having your thought life consumed with what God thinks. I'm going to say it again. Meditating on the Word of God is having your thought life consumed with what God thinks. If your thought life becomes consumed with what God thinks, guess what you're meditating on? The Word of God. So my thought life is not consumed with what the world thinks. My thought life is not consumed with what my friends think. My thought life is not consumed with what even my old, my old natural man thinks. My thought life is not consumed with what my circumstances think or my situation thinks or what anybody else thinks. My thought life is consumed with what does God think. 
You, you know my goal and what God spoke to me, uh, you know, weeks before I, I got into this series. God spoke to me and said, I want you to get back on this because I'm telling you, there are far too many Christians that are not consumed in their thought life with my thoughts. They're still allowing way too many other thoughts. They're still thinking about way too many other things that I would not think about. Or think about them in a way that I wouldn't. Right. See, when your, thoughts, when your thoughts are consumed with the Word of God, think, think how different your life would be. Yes, but you can go there. Yes, I said you can go there. If you could not, why would the Bible tell you to renew your mind? Do you know the word of God declares in Isaiah that if your mind is stayed on him, so my, my, my mind is consumed with God. You know, what you, how do I know if my mind is consumed with God? Yet perfect peace. Amen. It's a great indicator. When you're walking in this just absolute peace in the midst of everything, guess what you know? My mind is consumed with God. Because Isaiah said when your mind is set upon God, you have perfect peace. That peace consumes you. Why? Because his thoughts do. How many would like to really honestly, seriously, before you leave this planet, get dedicated to have your mind consumed to think like God thinks? Paul did it. That's why Paul could look at the circumstances in life he went through and then coin this in the New Testament. Oh, but these light afflictions. When's the last time you looked at any adversity you went through as a light affliction? And when it gets that quiet, I know probably not many. But Paul did. You know why? He got consumed in his mind with the thoughts of God. His desire, Philippians 4, was to know him. He was the focus. What's your desire? My whole challenge by the Holy Spirit today is to ask you a couple questions. Number one, are are your thoughts consumed with God? Number two, if not, what what are you consumed with? What are you focused on in life? What are you chasing after? What are you trying to accomplish with your life? See, my goal now from, from you know, years ago in, into this day and on is to get more and more and more consumed with God. I don't want to be less consumed by it. I want to be more consumed by it. I want, to, I want to echo the words of John the Baptist and do so in a spiritual manner. I want to continue to decrease. I just want him to keep increasing more in my life. But that can happen. It won't happen because I pray it. It won't happen because I say it. It'll happen because I do something about it. Isn't it cool to know I can think like God thinks? That's why the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, it says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? In other words, who has had the thoughts of God that he may tell God what to do? Nobody. God don't give you his thoughts to tell him what to do. But then it does say, but we have the mind of Christ. So you know what it's saying? You can think like God. Not so you can tell God what to do. So you can learn what God tells you you should be doing. Hallelujah. See, I can be consumed with the thoughts of God. If you get there, you're meditating on the Word of God. So meditating on the Word of God would be like, you know, if I had a need to, you know, put, put a nail up on this wall, you know, like we moved into the house, of course, I had to put lots of nails on the walls because got to hang this there and put this there and so... You know, so, so we're not done yet. So <laughs> meditating on the word is not taking a hammer, taking a nail. Now, I know some of you real he-men might be able to do this, you know, but take it and, and you just hit the nail one time. I'm done. If you took that nail and hit it one time, how many can imagine a person building a home? I know they use guns today, but let's go back to the day of just a hammer. How many think, how many, how many love to live in a home where the, the carpenters took a hammer, they just hit every nail that's holding that thing together, they just hit it one time and they walked away. Oh, 
How many like to live in that home? You know why it would be falling apart. And this is why many Christians' lives are falling apart. Because they're not meditating on the Word. What's meditating on the Word? You hit it again, and 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 you hit it again. You never stop hitting that word. You keep, met, you keep thinking about that word over and over and over. And guess what? You're literally, believe it or not, you're allowing the word to do a work in you to destroy strongholds in your life to think contrary to the word of God. You don't feel it happening. There's no feeling, ooh, hey, it's woo, I can feel it working. Woo. You know what I'm saying? You don't feel it happen, but you know what? It's happening. Because I'm going to show you God's word is given to you to do this very work. Jeremiah 23, if you're there, say amen. amen. Jeremiah 23, 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. Underline this, because we know we can glean from the Old Testament things the Bible and the New Testament backs up. And these are scriptures we can back up in the New Testament. He who has my word, underline it. He who has my word. Who, who is that person who has his word? Who goes to church, listens, goes to the word, reads and prays and spends time with God. You have his word. He who has my word, but that's not enough. Say, that's not enough. Watch this. Let him speak my word faithfully. You could have the word. I mean, I have a Bible. Yeah, I mean, go to church every, every now and then. Read your Bible once in a while. But again, this is not enough to what the Bible talks about meditating because the word meditate itself means to utter or to speak over and over. So he says, you could have my word, but guess what you got to do with it? Speak it faithfully. I'm going to show you why. Speak it faithfully. Watch. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? 29, is not my word like a fire? What would fire do in the sense of the context of the chaff that comes off the wheat? It would burn the chaff up and just destroy it. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? You ready? Like a hammer. That breaks the rock in pieces. What's the rock? The stronghold. What, what's going to break that stronghold in pieces? The word will. But it won't if you don't do verse 28. You got to have the word and speak it faithfully. If you speak the word faithfully, if you take a word God has given you to deal with a stronghold in your life about something, you're having a hard time believing. I guarantee you what, this is so powerful. I, I've been listening to some old teachings by Dr. Roy Hicks. One of them I'm listening to, he came in, he was brought into Ramah that Brother Hagin established as a, as a place to train people in the Word of God. He was one of the regular teachers there at Ramah. I've been privileged to find some teachings he taught at Ramah. He was one of our pastor's spiritual dads, Dr. Roy Hicks. He started the Four Square Movement. He was an incredible, and a lot of people don't like this term, but in a biblical sense, he was an incredible theologian, meaning he truly had understanding of the Word of God as it relates to us from the Holy Spirit through the Hebrew and the Greek languages. And he said, one of the things that a lot of Christians don't realize is we emphasize a lot on faith. We emphasize a lot, and I have to admit I've done the same thing. We emphasize a lot on believing in the heart, but the Bible doesn't. The emphasis of the Bible is putting it on your mouth. Because if you really spend the time putting it on your mouth, even if you don't believe it in your heart, guess what you're going to eventually do? You're going to believe it in your heart. Watch this. This is powerful. If you get this truth right here, this is powerful. Of why we don't see our thoughts changing in the area of strongholds. Because we're not taking the word. We're not getting serious about going and finding the hammer. I mean, there's different hammers for different jobs. 
I need to go know what the stronghold is. I need to go find the hammer. Is not my word like a hammer? I need to go find the hammer, the scripture, the verse that deals with that stronghold. And I need to do what? Hit it again and again and again and again. And guess what the hammer's going to do? Not me. Not me. Guess what the hammer? The hammer has power in it. Guess what the hammer's going to do? It's going to destroy that stronghold. I said it's going to destroy that stronghold. So watch this. You could have an emphasis on believing in the heart, but if you really don't make the emphasis about what you say with your mouth, believing in your heart still won't help you. Watch. You can go to, I mean, seriously, I, I have found very few sinners in my life, very few. When I've witnessed to them and talked to them and shared the gospel, I don't honestly know, you know, man, maybe one or two, three people in my lifetime as a believer. Have I ever found somebody who didn't believe in God, who honestly did not believe in God? I said, no, I don't believe in God. Now, I've run across a few, but not many. Not many. Almost everybody I've ever talked to that's a sinner, you believe in God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Next question. And again, I've hardly found anybody that doesn't believe this. I'm serious. Do you know about Jesus, his son? What he, he, oh, the guy went to the cross. Yeah, you know that he came and died. Yeah, do you know he did that for your sin? Now, some may not know that they did that for their sin. But many do. Many know why he went to the cross. But yet they're still a sinner. Wait a minute. They believe. They believe in their heart. <clears throat> They believe in their heart God is really God. That he is who he says he is. They believe Jesus came and died for their sin. Why has nothing happened yet? They haven't confessed it. The power's in your confession. Some of you get that after lunchtime. The power's in your confession. The emphasis is on confession. Well, it should be believing, Pastor. No, no, no. How many know this? If you say a lie long enough, you'll believe it. The power's in confession. See, the reason a lot of people aren't experiencing strongholds being broken is because they're not meditating on the Word. How do you meditate on the Word? You speak it over and over and over and over again. You find the area of the stronghold that you want to destroy. How do I know where I have strongholds? Not hard to figure out. What about your life? You, do, you keep doing consistently that's inconsistent with the Word of God. Where? Where do you just consistently keep doing things that the Bible says you shouldn't do or believing things the Bible says you shouldn't believe? Just find those areas. Those are strongholds because you're consistently doing them. And guess what? Now go find the hammer. Amen. Come on. Go find the hammer. Don't think you're going to overcome it because you're not. But you got to deploy the weapon. Power's in the weapon. So what a powerful statement. The truth is, as Brother Hicks sat there and told these guys, he said, I, you're going to have all kinds of great faith teachers in this school. Brahma, they did. Going to come teach you faith. But you know what? I'm not faulting any of them because I did this for years. And you're going to learn a lot of great things from these teachers when they come in here. But he said, I doubt you'll have many tell you because I used to teach the same thing. I doubt you'll have many tell you that the emphasis needs to be on what you say, not what you believe. Everybody's going to tell you the emphasis of what you believe. He said, I've talked to Bible scholars all across the planet, and I've asked them all this same question. What do you think is a more important emphasis, to believe in the heart or speak with the mouth? Believe in the heart. Because they don't believe in the heart, they can speak it, it won't work. True. But how are you ever going to believe it? By hearing. How does belief in the heart come? By hearing. He said, I never found one Bible scholar who said, the emphasis in the Bible, Dr. Hicks, is in the speaking, not the believing. Do you know the Bible even says in Romans 10, if you will confess the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the emphasis start with? Confession. If you will confess the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Obviously, as the Lord of your life and believe in your heart. It didn't say if you'll believe in your heart and confess. It said if you'll confess. So the focus is on confession because if you start, now I understand, you can't confess salvation and not get born again. But it's amazing how many sinners are still sinners and they believe God. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. Why are they not obviously walking in salvation? They won't confess it. Do you know the average believer born again does not question God's ability to do something? Almost nobody does. Hands of everybody in here that believes God can heal anybody. Hands of everybody that believes that. Why are all Christians not walking in healing? They're not confessing it. They believe it. But they're not confessing it consistently. See, the emphasis needs to be on confession. Don't lose track of what I'm telling you today, but I want you to get a hold of this. Meditation on the Word means I speak it over and over and over. Because what's going to obviously destroy the stronghold? What's going to do, what is going to destroy the stronghold? The word, the weapon. But you got to what? Deploy it. How often? Every day. Again. And just keep hitting that thing, man. Just keep hitting it. Because you know what the word will do? It'll break it. It'll destroy it. I said it'll destroy it. Because the truth is, I mean, if it's not a stronghold in your life and you still want to think that way, you're just carnal. You just don't really love God to begin with. Because if you really love God, you don't want to live carnal. Oh, I love God. Don't you tell me I don't love God, preacher. And tell me I don't love him because I'm not doing what the Bible said. No, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. You, you get mad at me, but I didn't say that. Jesus said. Jesus said, you love me, you obey, you obey my word. Jesus said that. So a lot of people don't obey the word because they don't really love Jesus. They think they do, but they don't. That's not what we're talking about. And that's not talking about you. I'm saying, how many know that there are strongholds to deal with in life? So you really love God. You really do obey him to the degree you know to. But a lot of people are trying to destroy strongholds on their own. It don't work. You got to take the word, the weapon, put it to work. So what's my responsibility? Okay, so if I present my body in this case as a living sacrifice unto God, what's part of my body? My mouth, my tongue, what comes out of it? Come on, somebody. So if I'm going to present that as a living sacrifice and I want to think like God, what do I got to start telling my, what's my spirit man got to start telling my mouth? You're not saying that no more. That's right. Amen. Come on. Tell somebody, you need to start talking to that mouth of yours. Tell about your spirit man. Your spirit man needs to start talking to that mouth of yours. No, 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 no. You're not saying that. You're not going there. That's not what God said about you. That's not who God said you are, but I'm doing it. Well, your body's doing it, but you're not going to keep doing that. We don't do That's not us. We're a new creation. But you got to get, this is, the, this is the downfall of most Christians when it comes to strongholds. They're trying to destroy them. By their own mental assent to the word. It'll never work. It'll never work. Because the hammer's not at work. The hammer's a sword. When spoken, it will begin to divide the soul, that old nature, from the spirit. And therefore do what? It will break those strongholds off your life. But you got to speak the word, folks. You got to speak the word. And not just when you feel like it. And not just when you're having a problem in life. You should be living every day with the hammer at work in your life. And the sword destroying things coming at you. So again, look at this. This is so powerful. So powerful. 28. He who has my word, let him do what? Speak it faithfully. See, it's not enough to have it. You need to speak it faithfully. So if you're speaking it faithfully, what are you doing? You're saying it day in and day out. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to put the hammer to work. Praise God. And we ain't talking about this Texas law attorney. Come on. 
Oh, I know. Some of y'all lying like, what's he talking about? If you live in Texas, man, you see the Jim or the Texas hammer. We're not talking about that hammer. Tell your neighbor, we're not talking about that hammer. That hammer don't compare to this hammer. Would you do me a favor today? Would you do me a favor? Would you hold this up? Would you take your Bible or whatever your Bible's on device? Hold this up and say, I have in my hand, according to God's own word, a hammer that will destroy every stronghold. It will break every stronghold if I will use it. You got to use it, folks. This is the hammer. When you go and find scriptures that deal with that stronghold, because, you know, it's like, it's like the military. You know, in relationship to the military, why do they have different weapons? Because they have different aspects of warfare they deal with. So whatever aspect of warfare they're dealing with, they're going to they're gonna use a weapon designed to deal with that warfare. You've got to do the same thing as a believer. What you're battling with, you've got to go find the weapon of what Jesus did in his blood to free you, to deliver you from that. To get you totally delivered from that way of thinking or that way of living. And you got to start doing what? Deploying that weapon. How? By speaking it out your mouth. I love testimony Brother Hagen gave years ago. Man, time and again he'd talk about this with people in testimonies where people would come into services. I really wish we'd do this today. I'm praying about it. Because, you know, he would go to a church no less than three weeks. Think about that. Minimum. You couldn't, you couldn't bring Brother Hagen to come teach in your church without him coming at least three weeks. Why? It takes that long to get rid of most of the unbelief in most people's lives. Just to get, like he would say, you know, how many, how many know, I mean, as an example, if you've ever gone into an area that has all kinds of trees and there's a lot of stuff grown up around it, you can't, there's a tree you got to cut down. You can't get to the tree till you undercut all the, until you cut down all the underbrush. Everything, you can't even get to the real problem until you get rid of that underbrush, right? can't do that. Well, guess what? He would say it takes me like at least two and a half to almost those three weeks just to get rid of all the underbrush to cut down the trees so people can finally get freedom and liberty. And guess, guess what most sadly, what most Christians would never do today? They wouldn't show up for those meetings like they did. Why? They only took one day off a week. Saturday. It's the only day they didn't have services. Think about that. Well, I'm too busy. For what? Too busy for what? Well, I got other stuff to do. More important than dedicating three weeks to hear from God and to walk in victory. Now, we're not talking about church as normal that you only take Saturday off. No, I'm talking about special messages, special services where they brought Brother Hagin in to help people. You listening? They would have a service every morning. Not all the guys, of course, had to work, could take off and could be there. They'd have a service every night. He would try to catch them up at night because he knew some of you got to work. I know that. I know they got to take care of your family. You couldn't take off or your boss wouldn't let you off. I get that. But I'm still going to teach the word of God during the day. But every single person in those, those meetings, many who dealt with stuff they couldn't seem to get free from, most of them in the case of needing healing, he would tell me, he said, here's what I'm going to do. They'd come in and say, can you help me? Uh, I can if you'll listen to me. Well, uh, uh, I don't know how you could help me. Well, I'll tell you what to do. Well, uh, will you do it? Well, I'll do it if it's not hard. See, everybody wants not hard. Right. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you will take what I teach you and do it, I guarantee it'll work. Take the word of God, like in their situation, whatever they're dealing with, he'd give them a verse or tell them go find one. You start speaking it every day. Come on, somebody. You start speaking that word every day. Every moment of the day, you think about that scripture, say it. Every moment of the day you think about the pain in your body, whatever you're dealing with, you say it. You speak that verse. Don't talk about your body. Talk the verse. Speak the verse. Do it every day. Every single day. Most of those people never got in the healing line. 
because within a day or two or some, within a week or two, they're already healed. And they just come give their testimony. Well, I'm already healed, uh, brother. Hey, I wanted to get in the healing line just to have you lay hands on me anyway, praise God. But I don't really need it because I did what you told me. And guess what? I got healed. What did it? The Word did. The hammer did it. Come on, somebody. Shake your neighbor and say, I got a hammer. I'm going to use it. You actually got many hammers. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5. So what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of what we have as it relates to who we now are. I'm going to say that again. What we're doing is we're reminding ourselves as to what we have, as to what we, we're reminding ourselves of what we have as it relates to who we are. One more time. We're reminding ourselves through the Word of God what we have as it relates to who we are. We've got to know who we are. If you know who we are, if you know who you are, you can find out what you have. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 14. For the love of Christ compels us, Paul said, because we judge thus, or in other words, we're making this discerning decision, understanding now for the very reason as to why Christ died. The love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all must have what? Died. There's no reason for one to die for everybody if everybody wasn't dead, in other words. Why did Jesus die? Because everybody was dead. Everybody was spiritually dead, and that's the reason he came and died. 14. He died for all. Who? All. That those who live should no longer what? Live for themselves. What should we no longer do? So this is going to wrap up my series now. I want you to get this, because we're going to go to one more verse that we've looked at before, before we close. But this is, this is the key thing here about walking out what we've been teaching. We should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for them and rose again. If you're still living for you, you won't renew your mind. If you're living for God, you will, because you know now you're consumed with thoughts of God. If you're living for him, guess who you're consumed with? Him. I made a statement last week. God gave it to me when we were in Amarillo. In the midst of a service, God said, you won't think like me if you don't think about me. You won't think like me if you don't think about me. And then this week he added to it, and you won't think about me if you don't live for me. You want a renewed mind? You won't think like God if you don't think about God. If you don't ever think about God during your day, you're not going to think like him because you're not even focused on him. You You won't think like me if you don't think about me. And then this week he said, and you won't think about me if you don't live for me. You're not going to think about God if you're not living for Him. If if you're living for you, guess what you're not thinking about? God. What are you primarily thinking about? You. You're thinking about your circumstances, your situations, what you need, what you need to do. But when you think about God, you think like God. And you think about God because you're living for God, not for yourself. He just said clearly, we have learned that we should no longer live for ourselves. Are you reading the same verse that I'm reading? Some of you are looking sad. You should get a smile on your face because this is powerful stuff when you live it out. We should no longer live, verse 15, for ourselves, but for him who what? Died for us. He died for us so we would live for him and therefore live like him. Therefore, from now on, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. We are no longer looking at people in life, including ourselves, I want this focus to come back to us for a minute because we think about this. 
We're no longer regarding anyone according to the flesh. We think of other people. Well, this should include you. You're a person. You're a people. Right? We regard no one. You're, you're a someone. We regard no one according to the flesh. You should not think of yourself as a fleshly being because you're not. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we what? We know him thus no longer. 17, therefore if anyone, was in, if anyone is in Christ, born again, raise your hand if that's you, so you're in Christ, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You're a new creation. You ready? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Greek language says a new way of living has come. Why did the old man die? So a new way of living could come. But that new way of living won't come if I don't renew my mind. And I won't renew my mind if I'm not consumed with God. And I'm not consumed with God if I'm living for me and not for Him. Who are you living for? Who are you going to be living for when you walk out that door? Are you just quote unquote sort of living for Him while you're here in church because you know to do that? But the minute you walk out, you're thinking about everything else but God? Who are you going to be living for tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? We're supposed to no longer live for ourselves. God said it in his word. We're supposed to live for the one that died for us. Right? Which isn't a bad thing. Why would people think it's bad to live for God instead of for self? Living for God is the greatest way to live because now you're living like God lives. Jesus didn't come to live for himself. He came to live for God. I get a better amen. So with that, let's wrap up in Colossians 3. We looked at this earlier. I want to go back to it. I hope I'm helping you today. Yes. Colossians chapter 3. You've got to understand, and I'm going to finish with this phrase again in just a minute because I want to make sure you get it. You've got to understand that if you're not living for God, you're certainly not going to fully renew your mind to the Word of God because your focus is you. If your focus is you, you're certainly not going to renew your mind to the Word of God. Why? You're not looking at Him. How, how am I going to renew my mind to the things of God if I'm not focused on God? You won't. You're going to keep thinking the way you always thought because you're looking at who? You. Colossians 3 then, as we already looked at these earlier in the week, uh, earlier in this series, excuse me. Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, say I am. What are you supposed to do? Come on, underline it. Seek those things which are above. So your focus totally changes. The moment you got born again, if you did, of course, I didn't know it totally, but I began to learn it. The moment you got born again, guess what, guess what should have happened? Your focus in life should have begun to change. I'm now to seek what? I'm now to seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Two, I'm to set my mind on. See, what's my mind supposed to be consumed with? Things above. Not on things of the earth. For you did what? You died. Say, I died. Watch this, you died and your life is hidden what? Tell me. I want you to get that last verse. You died, your life is hidden with Christ. What life? Zoe. The God kind of life God wants you to live is hidden with Christ. But if I don't live for Him, renew my mind to who I am and keep my mind consumed with God, I'm not going to see that transformation take place. My life's going to stay hidden. Think about that. It's not supposed to stay hidden. You died. Who did? Spiritually, my spirit man died. This new life is hidden. You know why it's hidden? Because you can't see your spirit man. You can't see that new man on the inside with your natural eyes. I can't see yours. You can't see mine. They're hidden. But guess what's within that new spirit man? This new life. This new Zoe life. What if I allow that spirit man to start dominating? People through my actions will begin to see that new life. It won't be hidden anymore. 
Amen. A lot of Christians are hiding what's in them. Amen. The real them. The new Zoe life. The God, the God kind of life God wants you to live. Why? Because they're living for themselves. They're setting their minds still on the things of the world. Now, if you haven't got it yet, let me help you one more time. You should no longer have your mind set on the things of this world. You should now be consumed with the things of God. Because He should be who you're living for. If you don't do that, you won't renew your mind because other things will be more important. Can I get a better amen? amen? So again, for you and I, as God told me clearly in this series and in this message, for you and I to walk in a way of thinking like God, to think like God. I'm going to say it. I told you I was going to close with this statement. To think like God, what must I do? To think like God, I must think about God. I've got to think about Him. But to think about, to think about God, I must do what? Live for Him. Because if I live for him, my focus is no longer on this world. My focus is on him. Amen. And what he says about me and what he says I have. And when I start finding that, finding that out and learn stuff like I just taught you today of how the hammer works, I can start putting that hammer to work and it'll actually do its job. Amen. It'll accomplish exactly what God said it would do. Amen. But I will promise you if you're living for you, you'll put down the hammer. Right. Amen. You'll put down the hammer. Well, it's too hard to deal with all my thoughts. You already got thoughts going on every day. So the choice is I can either start reining my thoughts in and start getting my focus on God. You know, you're going to think about what you're focused on. When I was focused on bull riding, that's all I thought about, man. I mean, there probably wasn't a day in my life that I didn't think in some way or shape or form about getting on the next bull I had to get on or, you know, something about bull riding. I'm thinking about it all the time. But if your thoughts are obviously focused on God, if God's your priority, guess what your thoughts are going to be about? God. If your thoughts are about God, guess what you're going to think like? Him. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? Thank God we can live like God because we can think like God. But we need to renew our minds. And we need to understand how the strongholds get destroyed. We don't destroy them. God's Word does. I just deploy the weapon. But you got to start more than ever now getting two things out of this message. One, get your focus on God and keep it there. Therefore, your thoughts are on the things of heaven. And number two, start dealing with your mouth. Start dealing with your words. Start continually confessing what God's word says about you, who it says you are, what it says you have, what it says you can do. And if you do that, guess what? You'll begin to see that very word come to pass in your life. It'll change your thinking, which will change the way you live, and you'll see transformation take place. I get a better amen. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.